I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, that's found on page 998 in the Bibles that are provided for you there in the rows. Some of you are asking yourself, what happened to 1 Corinthians? Well, we'll, Lord willing, be back there next week. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of our God and Savior." For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Let us pray. Lord, I pray for help. Help me as I preach. Help these dear brothers and sisters as they listen. Lord, that our eyes would be open to the lives that you call us to as your children. Lives that, that, that flow from the love that we have for you from the love that we have received from you. And the mercies that are ours in you each and every day. Lord, that we would grow into the men and women that you desire us to be. Which is for our good and, and which brings you glory and honor which this lost and dying world needs to see within us. Do this, we pray, in Christ's name. 
Amen. Now clearly we are taking a break this morning from our study of 1 Corinthians. and We do this as we celebrate Mother's Day, but ladies, I want to put you at ease. This is not going to be a Proverbs 31 moment where we focus exclusively on the ladies. In fact, today's sermon focuses on the health of the entire church. Gentlemen, Father's Day is about a month away. And I want you to listen closely as well because today is a twofer. We're getting Mother's Day and Father's Day message all on one day. In June, we're going to be flying towards the end of 1 Corinthians, and so each Sunday in June is going to focus there. So, so today, we're going to address men and women, fathers, mothers, old, young, all for the health of the church. The book of Titus was, was written by the Apostle Paul, and it's often referred to as one of the pastoral epistles or pastoral letters, because Paul is writing to one of his protégés, Titus, in this case concerning how the church is to function. It is a short and important letter which helps us to know how we can be more faithful as the church of Jesus Christ. In, in Titus chapter 2, we find Paul listing the qualities that should exist in the people who make up the church. Men, women, old, young. These are our qualities which we could also call distinctives, which are, are designed to set us apart, makes us different from the world that we, lived in, uh, uh, we live in. A, a distinctive is, is something that a, an individual or an organization is known for. I was doing a little math this weekend, which is always dangerous when I try math, but 27 years ago, when I entered Bible college, the, the school that I went to was known as a missionary school. It wasn't that they weren't training pastors, even elementary school teachers and music majors and uh, psychology and all of these things, but at that time, the school was known primarily as a missions college because it was a distinctive. You, people who went there went because they could receive excellent cross-cultural training and, and, and language training to, to prepare them to take the gospel around the world. So that was something that set them apart from maybe some of the other Christian colleges and universities. They were, it was a distinctive. It was important to them. Another way to think of this idea of, of distinctives is, is to think in terms of accents. Maybe that's something we're more can relate to. A person's accent typically gives away what part of the country they're from, or at least the part of the country they've lived in for some time. A person from Vidalia, Georgia, sounds different than a person from Boston, Massachusetts, right? There's a difference there and how they speak. And it's not just the words that they use, but, but it's how they emphasize certain words and the cadence of speech. 
They're distinct from one another. And they give a pretty strong clue as to whether or not a person is from around here or not, right? As a family, one of the things that we enjoy as we travel south to visit family is, is, is how the accents change the further south we go. Usually it's, it's about the middle of Virginia when we, we start noticing a difference. But interestingly, even, even within different areas, even in the south, you have different kinds of accents, just like in the north there are different kinds of accents. And, and if you are around those people long enough, you can begin to identify things about them based on how they talk. We see something similar here in Titus chapter 2. Not in our language, not in, in what we sound like, but what our lives look like. Those distinctives that, that, that set us apart. Paul describes the, the fruit of sound teaching in the church in Titus chapter 2. Men and women who are set apart from the world and, and are known because of their godly qualities. These godly qualities are, are, are our distinctives, if you will. And these are distinctives, these are qualities which every Christian must pursue and, and aspire to in our lives for the glory of God. And, and for us as, as New Hope Christian Fellowship, to be a healthy church, we must be known for these qualities as well. Now as we consider these verses, uh, we, we, we want to look at these qualities that Paul lists, but I want to remind you that typically when the Apostle Paul gives a list in Scripture, it's not designed to be exhaustive. There, there are other godly qualities that we should also exhibit as a church. But these are important so this morning we're going to look at these qualities and then we're also going to consider our motivations for pursuing these qualities in our lives. Let, let, let's look at verses 1 through 15 one more time. Paul writes, But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, 
waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul begins with four little words, but as for you, this shows us that what we see in chapter 2 is tied to something that Paul has already written in chapter 1. In chapter 1, Paul finishes up the chapter by warning Titus about the dangerous presence of false teachers in the church. Paul lists the qualities of false teachers and, 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 and the need to condemn them and, and to, to really challenge Titus to condemn them in, in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16. Paul writes, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. We learned about the Judaizers in our study of Galatians. Remember, those were the, the Jews that were coming in, and they were basically trying to add to the gospel, telling Gentile Christians that if they were truly going to be pleasing to God, that they would need to adopt the, the, the customs of Judaism. They needed to, to be circumcised if they were male. They needed to take part in certain feasts. And just as he condemned that clearly in Galatians, he also condemns it here in Titus as well. He wants them to, to be on guard. But it was not just the Judaizers who Paul warned against. Verse 11, they, the, the Judaizers, must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, uh, uh, Gentiles, uh, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of the people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. So Paul finishes up chapter 1 with, with the fruit and the evidence of, of false teaching and its influence on the church. And, and he gives that as a backdrop for what the fruit of sound doctrine will look like in the life of the church. So, so, so there's a contrast between the false and, and the true. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. This sentence sets the tone for chapter 2 in its entirety. But as for you, Titus, establish this church. Teach. Means to, the, the Greek word is lalei, which means to speak. That which accords. Prepei, which means what is fitting. For sound doctrine. Sound doctrine simply means healthy instruction. False teachers, by definition, teach what? Things that are false, right? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a deep one, I know. But you, Titus, teach what is healthy. 
If the truth is healthy, then obviously false is unhealthy. You don't need a doctorate in theology to to figure that out. Paul doesn't leave Titus to to wonder what is in accordance with sound doctrine. He he points out the full fruit of sound doctrine in in chapter 2. It's in these verses that we see that, that we are called to live in a way that reflects what we know to be true from God's word. That makes sense. That, that, that's, that's important. So much of contemporary Christianity, brothers and sisters, focuses simply on believing the right things. And while it is very important that we believe the right things and we affirm the right things, the teaching of Scripture is that those right beliefs, those truths that we affirm, are going to have a transforming effect on how we live. That's the nature of saving faith. It's not just affirming what is true, but it's the evidence that we actually believe what we claim to believe. It's the result. There's consequences. If you believe that it is raining outside and you don't want to get wet, then you're going to make a choice as to to what you put on or whether or not you pick up an umbrella to go outside. What you know to be true has a direct effect on your actions, right? We can all get that. Some of us don't care, so we got wet this morning. But, but some of you, there, there were many umbrellas and many raincoats this morning because you knew A was true, it's raining, so B, you took action. The same is true with our understanding of the teaching of Scripture. We know A to be true, so B, there should be evidence of it in our lives. That's basic Christianity, brothers and sisters. So let's look at these qualities that accord with sound doctrine that Paul lists. He speaks first to the older men. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Sober-minded simply means to be temperate or restrained. The older men in the church, and again, this isn't just a, a description of those of us who have gray hair, but, but it's also a statement about those who are, are spiritually mature in the church as well. They're to be known for being temperate, for having restraint. They are men who are to not be impulsive. They have a, a clear view on things. There to be examples. There to be dignified. This means men who are worthy of respect. Self-controlled. That means prudent, moderate. They're not mastered by anything but by God alone. It's a pretty big list, right? Already. We're, we're three in, and this is a this is a big picture that, that Paul is, is painting for those who were to, to set the tone spiritually in the church. They're to be sound, that means to be healthy, sound in their faith, that means what they believe is in accordance with scripture. 
They're there to be sound in love. That means in, they love things that are glorifying to God. And they're to be sound in their patient endurance, their steadfastness within the church. And again, this isn't an exhaustive list. Paul is, is writing to address things that were lacking in the church and, uh, that, that Titus was pastoring. But the picture is clear. And these are qualities that every mature Christian man should, should, should not just aspire to, but we should be actively pursuing as believers. In short, what you see here is, is, is the description of, of someone that, that the younger men and even the women of the church can look to as an example of genuine faith. Older women, older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and they're to train the young women. Reverent behavior means to be religious, not in the way that we use the word religious sometimes as a negative Adjectives, but, 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 but in the sense that they seek to honor God rather than pursuing vain pursuits. They, they, they pursue those things which bring glory to God. They're not to be slanderers. That's literally devilish. The Greek word diabolos. What does the devil do? He accuses. So not to be those who go out and seek to cause division within the context of the church. They're not to be slaves to much wine. To be slave to something is to be under, under obligation to it or to be ruled by it. Again, it's believed that this is something that was a problem in this church in particular. And so you could take that principle and really apply it to anything. A, a mature, godly woman is not a slave to anything. In the same way that the men are not to be slaves to anything other than to the Lord. They're to, to teach what is good, that which builds up and edifies, to, to, to train. And, and this is all in reference to the younger women. To train means to encourage. And in Paul's description of, of older men and women whose lives are above reproach and worthy of respect... He's also raising a bar for the modern church as well. Consider for a moment, brothers and sisters, how much different things are today when it comes to how society views older men and women. In many cases, they're, they're not viewed as being worthy of respect, but rather they're seen as being out of touch or even burdensome. Rather than being seen as examples and, and sources of wisdom, they're, they're more likely to simply be tolerated by younger generations. But brothers and sisters, this must not be true in the context of the church. When this is true in the church, we're sinning against God. The older brothers and sisters among us deserve our honor and our respect. And at the same time, those who are older in the faith, we have an obligation to, to make sure we are pursuing lives which are that type of example that will be respected. This is sound doctrine. 
Now again, keep in mind that older doesn't simply mean those with gray hair because some of us are thinking, oh, well, I don't have quite as many. Or I'm in my 30s and, and 40s. I don't have to worry about these things yet. No, that's, that's not true at all. As you look at this passage, this is the goal for all of us. If you see yourself as a young man now or a young woman now, Paul's implication is that you're not always going to be young. The goal of, of, of the ministry of, of the pastor and elders and the, and the church is to equip the body to, to grow up in maturity in the faith. So, so, so really, everyone should be paying attention to the qualities of, of the older men and women in the church. Because someday there are going to be younger ones coming behind you as well. Paul's point is, is, is simple. We must have examples. We must seek to, to grow into the examples that, that, that Paul writes about here in Titus chapter 2. This should be our priority for our personal growth as Christians. Men and women who are spiritually mature did not get there by accident. You do not stumble into godliness. You achieve it as the Spirit works within our lives, as we read and believe and apply God's Word. So godliness is never an accident. It is a result of learning to walk faithfully with the Lord over the course of our lives. Not only are the mature to be examples, but they're also to be the source of instruction. In the case of the older women, Paul says they need to be teaching the younger women on, on how they should live properly and faithfully as young wives and mothers. Paul points out that, that an important role for the older, in the church, older women in the church is that they teach younger women. He continues, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. This idea of, of loving the husband and children, is, it's, a, it's a description of, of affection. Cultivating a, an atmosphere in the home where, 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 where those in the family know that is a place where, where, where love is dominant. Self-controlled, sensible, sober-minded, pure, means to be innocent, blameless. Working at home, again, this isn't necessarily at the exclusion of something outside the home, but, but it's emphasizing the importance of prioritizing a godly home. Ladies, the men are, are called to shepherd in the family, but you play a vital role in, in establishing an atmosphere there where Christ is glorified. This is our priority. To be kind means to be good or generous. Submissive to their own husbands, that's being subject to under the authority of the husband's spiritual lead in the home. And this, brothers and sisters, is, is consistent with the teaching we see on marriage in both the books of Ephesians and Colossians. 
In his description of younger women, Paul is describing women who are not swept up in the foolishness of youth or the influence of the culture, but those who've embraced God's design for marriage. And this is important. This is important because marriage is what? It's a living illustration in the context of of a Christian marriage of Jesus' relationship with his bride, the church. If marriage is to be this type of, of, of illustration, this living picture of the gospel, then it is important, Paul writes, that the wives understand the importance that they do their part in living in a way that, that honors God and his design for marriage. How often, marrieds, do we think of our relationship in this term? Our relationship with our wives. Men, this should be something that crosses your mind on a regular basis. How can I love my wife today as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? How how can I love my wife sacrificially for her good in a way that, 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 that pushes her closer to Christ? Applications are endless, right? Do, do, do you pick up a responsibility or, or, or do something that you've been putting off for, for weeks, some of us months, in order just to, to alleviate her stress level? Do you, do you take the kids a while and encourage her to, to spend time in the Word of God? Do you catch her before she drifts off and say, Honey, I know you're tired, but but I want to tell you, number one, how much I love you, and and number two, can can we just pray together before you fall asleep tonight? I just want to give thanks for you and pray for you. I want to encourage you in your walk. These these things don't happen unless we prioritize them. And believe me, I, I share that as someone who has miles to go. But we have a role to play, men, in the spiritual well-being of our wives. Paul then turns to the younger man. He says, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, in this passage, in verses 2 and 4, the, the word self-controlled in the Greek is actually an adjective, while in verse 6, it's a verb. Self-control means to be of sound mind, to be reasonable. Now, we all know that adjectives describe nouns while verbs are action words, and and it makes sense, though. As you consider the the, the root of most struggles of of young men, and by young men I mean anyone from the age two and up, (laughs) these struggles relate to the fact that they lack self-control. They have very little self-control. And this starts, as I mentioned, way before they would be considered young men. And parents, it falls on us to to, to help them develop self-control. We need to require it of them when they are young. Self-control. 
Now you might be thinking, okay, well, Titus really, or Paul really lets the young men off the hook. There's just one thing for the older men and the older women and the young women. There's this list of things that they're supposed to be doing and pursuing and valuing and, and the young men just get self-control. Well, not really. Because Paul is writing to a young man in the church, Titus. And so as he continues and, and addresses Titus, these things also apply to other young men in the church as well, as Titus is to be the example. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Titus was to be an example to, to the other young men of the church of how they should live, Men with self-control, men who could control their tongues, men who used their gifts for the glory of God. And then Paul goes on to write about bondservants and, and, and challenging them to be faithful to their masters as well for the glory of God. Even those who were slaves were called to be faithful and then were set apart because of their union with Christ. And there is instruction for the entire church. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Now again, these aren't qualities that are meant to be exhaustive, but these are examples of those who have truly experienced the grace of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. We, we, we see a call to holiness in these descriptions. The older man should be a holy man. The older woman should be a holy woman. The same is true of younger men and women. No matter what our vocation or station of life, holiness should be evident in our lives if we are truly followers of Christ. As holiness is evident, we become more and more set apart from the world and how we live. Our actions reveal that we don't live for the same things that those who don't know the Lord live for. The goal isn't to be different just for the sake of being different, brothers and sisters. The goal is to bring glory and honor to the one who saved us. Paul doesn't just tell us how to live in Titus chapter 2. He also tells us why we should live this way. What should our motivation be? In verse 5, he teaches young women should be submissive to their husbands so that the word of God may not be reviled. Ladies, let's be honest. Our, our husbands don't always get it right or do it right. We fall short. But embracing your role as a wife according to God's design still honors God even when your husband may not be honorable. 
And Paul's point is simple. Do not let God's design for marriage be reviled because you do it another way. So one motivation is that we not bring dishonor to the Lord. Now we live in a time where it seems that people are doing everything they can to explain away what the Bible teaches, especially as it relates to men and women. In verse 8, Titus is exhorted to have sound or healthy speech so that his opponents will be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. So his testimony, the, the way he lived, would be so godly as to silence others. In verse 10, even the bondservants are urged to be faithful and, and honest so that in everything they would reveal that they believed sound teaching, that they would put on the doctrine of God, our Savior. To adorn means to beautify, and it's a powerful statement, not just for bondservants, but us as well. Our lives should reveal the beauty of God. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Brothers and sisters, we, 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 we should adorn these qualities because we have seen and received the grace of God, specifically through the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. We understand that, 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 that this grace is the only way of salvation for all people. The only way to the Father is through the Son. Verses 13 and 14 reveal that we're also motivated by, by what we are waiting for as well. Verse 11, we, we look at what has happened. We look back to the appearing of Christ and his ministry. Read in verses 13 and 14, Paul says, no, you also are motivated to, to put these things on because you're looking for what is to come as well. He says, we're waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. We're, we're motivated for faithfulness because we are awaiting the return of Christ. This is when the, the kingdom is fulfilled. We're, we're motivated because we are his. We're, we're united to him. And this is a great motivation for obedience. If I am united with Christ, or since I am united with Christ, how can I do things which bring dishonor to him? Since Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, how can I lie? Since Jesus has paid the penalty for my lust, how can I, who am united to him through faith in Christ, entertain lustful thoughts anymore? Since Jesus died, bearing the punishment for what my pride deserves, how can I continue in pride in how I relate to other people since he bore the penalty? When we're thinking clearly, we know the answer is we can't. We can't. Is it easy? No. We, we struggle, we fall, we depend on God for his grace. But we must understand the priority of godly living. 
These are not suggestions that Paul sets forth for a healthy church. These are the expectations for those who have responded in faith to the gospel. New hope needs men and women who are known for these qualities, these distinctives in the lives of of Christians as well as the other fruit of the Spirit. These things set us apart from the world and they bring honor and glory to the Lord. We need to be holy men and women and boys and girls of whatever age growing in our intimacy with God and in our care for one another. We realize that true holiness will flow from this, brothers and sisters. And so as I close, I challenge us yet again to truly prioritize this way of living as followers of Christ. Again, this is not to earn anything from God. This is simply a response of faith to what God has already done for us. No matter how much our sin may appeal to us, it falls far short of the joy that comes from doing things God's way. So men, let us be the men that Christ died for us to be. Ladies, embrace all that Christ died for you to be so that God would be honored and we would be of eternal benefit to one another and to those outside the faith. Let us pray. Lord, these are daunting verses indeed. But there is nothing that you call us to that you will not equip us to achieve through the work of your Spirit and the empowering of your Spirit in our lives. And so, Lord, we bow before you as dependent people, Lord, praying that that you would make these verses true in our lives, that that we would be uh, a church made up of, of mature men and women who live as examples for those who are young, both chronologically and spiritually in the faith, Lord, that they would be built up by the example that they see. The name of Christ would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.